Hey guys, this is Gary, and welcome to another episode of Pod Wars. On Pod Wars, we'd like to dissect Star Wars, Marvel, and our favorite little nuggets of geeky media. Speaking of nuggets, I'm here today with my favorite little nugget, Justice. What's up, guys? And we are going to give you an exciting interview with Wes Loker. Justice, can you kind of describe Wes and what he's done and kind of what we'll be talking about in the interview? Yeah, so I met Wes through Full Sail. One of my professors introduced me to him, and he does a lot of video game writing, comic book writing, and other you know nonfiction and fiction stories. And so in this interview, we really talk about we dive deep into the weeds of like the comic book writing process, and we talk a little bit about his video game writing. But yeah, we're we're we also dive deep into a lot of the uh, most recent comics that he's writing and some of the stuff that's uh, gonna come out. So I hope you guys enjoy the interview and. This is us with Wes Loker. All right, guys. We're really excited to have Wes Loker here on the show. Wes, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, no problem, man. Thank you for making time in your schedules. I really appreciate it. So we're psyched to kind of dive into the nuts and bolts of what goes into making a comic, the writing process, character process, and kind of your your bent towards comedic comics. But to start out, we just want to get a, a better idea of you a little bit. Um, sure. So we, we'd like to know just what is one of your favorite comic stories that kind of brought you up and grew your interest in comics as a medium? Oh, man. Well, you know, I, it's crazy because I can pinpoint the exact moment that I realized that comics were something that I that I wanted to do. Um, and, and I want to preface it with a little backstory first, if I can. Is that all right? Totally. All right, cool. So I grew up in this tiny little town in Ohio where... Um, you know, not not like a mecca of like entertainment or pop culture. So uh, I started off and I, I was basically my, my foot in the door to reading comics was through like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which were, you know, as, yeah. as all of us, we, we loved the cartoon, you know, we, we, we loved everything about it, you know, all of the all of the merchandise, all of the media, we were totally obsessed. So uh, my, my mom would go to this drugstore in town and they had like a spinner rack in there. And so I remember like that was the very earliest thing that I was picking up were were copies of like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle adventures, which were basically just like adaptations of the cartoon uh, told in comic form. And so that kind of was what like that was when the bug bit me. And then after kind of going there and, and basically they didn't have a huge selection. So I was buying up all the comics. And then one day my dad was like, hey, man, you know, there's actually a whole store in town that just sells comic books, if that's something that you're into. And so. You know, I'm, I'm in like elementary school at this point, but my mind is blown that there's somewhere that just sells comic books. So, uh, you know, I go there and I basically like kill an afternoon and it's just the best thing ever. And I'm, you know, I'm learning about all of the, you know, I, I knew I had familiarity with the superheroes and the Spider-Man, Superman's, Batman's and that type of thing. But I was like, I can I can get the comics like I know this is where it comes from. Um, so just for the next, you know, X amount of years of my life, that's just what I did. That's what I spent my money on. And, and I'm pretty sure that like, I was the only person that was actually going to this comic book store. You know, I, was, I felt like I was probably keeping them open. Um, so what would happen was, because I didn't realize that comics only came down, came out on Wednesdays. Mm. So I was going in there like every other day, like, where's the new stuff? And, and nobody was saying like, no, it's only once a week, dude, like come back. Um, so these guys, I think they felt pressure like, hey, if he's going to come in here every other day, then we have to sell him stuff every other day. So what that led to was that, you know, after I had, you know, already added all the Marvel and DC titles to my pull list, they started to get into like the weird stuff that they had on hand. And and by weird, I mean like the, the black and white 90s comics. So I got exposed to a ton of like 
super indie, super weird stuff when I think most people, most kids especially, were just reading kind of the mainstream. Uh, so like one of the one of the comics that they gave me was uh, was the Tick. Okay. So like that yeah. was a, a very formative comic for me. And then the comic that they they gave me after that, and this is the, actually the comic that made me want to make comics, was called. Uh, it's by by a writer artist named Rob Schraub, and it was called Scud the Disposable Assassin. And that comic just it was funny, it was action, it was just uh, hyper kinetic. The art was just frenzied all over the place, and it just you know it was just from an artistic standpoint and story standpoint, it just blew my mind. So I remember you know thinking as I as I read these issues, and I read them over and over till they basically fell apart. And I was like, this this is what I want to create someday. Like, this is the thing that I want to do. So super long story to give you a, a super short title. But but yeah, I remember looking at that comic saying, you know, why can't I make something like this? And if, it took me 20 years to get there, but we finally got there, which is the important part. I think it's super crucial with like someone getting into comics where they find that store that like is able to really take them along and, you know, totally. introduce them to all these different titles. Um, I think back about all these different comics. My uncle was the one who gave me, introduced me to X-Men and that's Mm -hmm. when I found my comic book store in town. And I think around that time, that's when uh, the Spider-Man story where he, he dies by Dan Slott and then Dr. Octopus takes over. That's what got me into it. So yeah. Um, What about you, Gary? Well, I just love, I mean, we talked about this a lot on the podcast and on our own justice and how like media can, the widespread mainstream can actually like, easily bring you into comics i just love that it was teenage mutant ninja turtles you get the, like the fun kitty ones like the show and mm-hmm. then like if you look at the actual mainline one with eastman and all his stuff that are just brutal classic indie <laughs> comics <laughs> yeah completely different than the kids show totally. like, i just Super love dark. that kind of transition so wes i have to ask marvel or dc uh, I, I found myself leaning toward Marvel growing up. Um, you know, I was equal opportunity. I, I read it all, but I felt like those were worse. I felt like the characters were stronger. It was, you know, um, you know, Spider-Man was who, who's my favorite superhero. You know, he was Peter Parker first. And so the story was always Peter Parker centric. And I think, you know, you attach yourself. I can relate more to Peter Parker than I can Superman, who's who's basically a god and uses, you know, Clark Kent as his disguise, more or less. So it's, you know, just different approach. And, and there's stories that I've liked on, on both sides. But, you know, if, if I had to only take one with me to a desert island, then I'm, I'm taking Marvel along. Yeah, we, we've talked on the podcast before. Gary's definitely a DC guy. I'm the Marvel guy. Although I feel like you've kind of switched a little bit over the I've, years. I think I've converted a little bit. Oh. I'm sad to say. Um, <laughs> part of it because the, the DC animated universe is what got me into DC. And the okay. movies have been, other than Christian Bale, uh, relatively garbage. Um, sure. So, I mean, I love classic Batman arcs and all of that, like everyone else in the world. But you're right, Marvel just has that personalized touch that's yeah. different. I think a lot of kids growing up can really relate to, you know, Spider-Man getting bullied and whatnot. But you're right, like, it's kind of hard to relate to a, either a super billionaire or a god and whatnot. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah. I like that you said that. Um, so I know through our correspondence, you kind of talked about how, um, you know, you went to full sale. And so can you kind of give us a backstory and how like you got into writing? Cause I know you've done other stuff other than just comic books. Sure. So, I mean, growing up, you know, my, my father was a journalist and my mother was an English teacher. So at the dinner table, it was like all this discussion about, you know, what my, my father had written on any given day, the thing, the meetings that he'd gone to in the community, he worked for a newspaper uh, so it was, you know, him then kind of telling us the story and keeping us engaged of what's going on in the community. 
And then there was my mother who was basically correcting both of our grammar. Um, so it was just, you know, it was just kind of like a prime uh, way to grow a writer, I guess. It was always something I wanted to do, and, and I, I didn't do it for a very long time. I, I initially went to college for something completely unrelated. Um, and then in my, basically spent my entire 20s playing in, in rock bands and, and touring and playing shows everywhere and, and kind of got really far away from it. And then Hell as yeah. that wound down, uh, I was like, you know, I, I can't keep this up. I'm getting older. Um, you know, what's something that I can do that, that is basically just me and isn't, isn't reliant on all these other people um, who, you know, because people will ultimately, you know, let you down in some capacity. So I was like, let me do something that's like just me and, you know, blank sheet of paper. So I just kind of rekindled my love of writing and, and I've written not only comics, but I've also I've written fiction. I've written a few nonfiction books that have done well. Uh, and then for my day job, I'm, I'm a writer in the video game industry. So it's just there's always something kind of going on and, and that requires my fingers to be on the keyboard. Totally spaced on the whole video game stuff. Uh, can you can you what video games have you uh, helped make? Sure. So I've worked. I freelanced for a really long time for a variety of companies. A lot of mobile stuff. Um, also, I've done a couple of, of games that are available on Steam, and then subsequently, like on Xbox and PlayStation. Uh, the most recent project I did was a mobile game called Project Makeover, which was um, it was a huge hit game. Uh, it released in November of 2020. Uh, we went immediately to the number one game app in like 160 countries, and over this That's past awesome. year. Yeah, it's crazy, man. We we've had over a hundred million downloads. We've grossed two hundred million dollars in revenue. So it's just it's just been a smash success. So I actually recently, just in the past like two weeks, got off of that project to write uh, the company's next video game, which is exciting. You've got to be kidding me, because my wife is obsessed with that game. I She's, love it. Tell, she plays it way too. There often. you go, man. So any any uh, anything she sees in there that has words is is what I was responsible for. So I, I basically got to. I came in kind of at the beginning of development and helped develop kind of the tone of the game. So it's super silly. Um, it's it's definitely like um, it's kind of like a like a queer eye makeover type show where you take somebody, you improve their life by making them look better and feel better and improving how their room looks or what have you. And it's so it's a feel good game, but it has a lot of like zaniness and humor to it as well. So uh, thank thank her for playing, man, because that that's awesome. We couldn't have done it without people like her. Well, you, you mentioned like the zaniness and humor, and that seems to be kind of from you were gracious enough to give us some of your work to look over. And it seems yeah. to be an overall kind of theme for your writing is really leaning into that kind of zany, comedic aspect. I was talking with Justice how um, usually to name some of my favorite titles, I love Department of Truth, Ice Cream Man, which is the exact opposite of fun and zany and more into the effed up, like make you hate existence type of comics. Yeah. And how it felt incredibly different reading your stuff. I, I was wondering what kind of leads you to more of that fun, zany, comedic type of material? Um, that's a great question. You know, and I think that, um, again, growing up, the books that I, that's really spoke to me, the comic books were, like I said, you know, Scud and, and The Tick, which is super zany. Like those were, they just, there was something about it, even as a kid that I could identify, like this is really like left of center and different. Um, you know, superheroes just felt like it was always telling kind of the same story over and over in like a slightly different way. Um, so I just, you know, I was more into, not, and not to say that there's anything wrong with that, because obviously that's what the industry's built on. Um, but the other thing was that I, I'm just always, you know, I, I'm pulled toward fun. Like, I, I love comedy movies. Like, I grew up on, um, you know, Mel Brooks films. I grew up on, like, Leslie Nielsen spoof movies. So it's just, like, all these things that just 
you know, humor. I, I like to make people laugh. I like to laugh. Like you don't ever meet somebody who says like, oh, I hate laughing. Like laughing is the worst <laughs> thing, right? right? So it's just, you know, our, our world is so full of like downer things that I think even more so in the, in the past few years, like I've really tried to keep stuff as light as possible. Um, and, you know, the other thing though is that, that humor is actually really hard to do in comics because humor is all about, you know, setup and punchlines and then having to also, you know, make sure that that's accounted for, but also move a plot along, develop character. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. So I think for me, there's like, part of it is like a puzzle trying to figure out how all the pieces fit together within the page limit to, to tell a good story, but also to make sure that people have fun with it and are entertained so that they, if they see my name on a book, um, you know, they, they kind of know what they're getting. That's kind of become my brand. And, and when I started off, that wasn't necessarily the case. Like the first graphic novel I did uh, was a crime comic because I had kind of, you know, basically been reading a lot of like Ed Brubaker stuff. And, and I was like, oh, you know, I love what he he's doing with a like criminal and maybe I could do something like that. And so I did it and I produced this comic, which was it was a lot of fun. It was it was a great learning experience. But by the time that I had finished it, I was like, this is, this feels so disingenuous. This isn't like, this isn't who I am as a writer. This was me trying to be somebody else. So from there, I kind of was like, you know, I, I need to focus on the voice part and I need to develop, you know, my brand and I, and I want people to know, you know, what they're getting when they see, like I said, my name on a book. So I fought against it for a while. And then the more I embraced it, the positive the response was. So I was like, well, let me just lean into it all the way. Yeah, I know I was reading through um, one of your more recent ones, Unit 44, and how I, I felt like it would be so difficult because of that delivery aspect of comedy. Like, you have to control the... Just thinking of stand-up comedians. They have yeah. some things that inherently, if I said it, wouldn't be funny. But just the way they in, they change their voice and whatnot becomes hilarious. In comics, you have to control, basically, the voice somebody has in their head reading through these jokes. And that has to be just... a pretty difficult barrier to work through yeah you're absolutely right i mean i think that's that's one of the things that i try to do with characters is in comedy like the character development i would say is not necessarily the most important thing it's it's if you're going to say something is funny then people have this expectation that it's going to be funny and silly so you know for for a book like unit 44 um which is just for anybody listening at home that is the the story of inept area 51 employees who forget to pay the rent on the facility storage unit and the secret contents are sold at public auction um so it's, it's very this, funny it, thank you it's it's a super zany idea um and it was like okay you know i have to establish the character voices early on so that the reader does know what they sound like in their head and, and it's interesting when i see people talk about it online like they always peg the same actors for the roles that i hear when I write it. So it's like, okay, that's, that's great. That means that that came across exactly the way I needed it to. Yeah. Speaking of you, like you talking about the characters, I know in bug slugger, you actually had one, a page where it's like, these are the voices that we want people to have when you're reading this comic. And I absolutely love that. Like that, like that concept, having that in there and it totally helped me as I was reading. Cause it, and it, I think it added to the, the humor in the story. That's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad that you like that. I, I can't take credit for that. That's something I stole from some of the comics I read as a kid. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's like, you know, why why not speed that process up even more if you can and just say, hey, this is who we hear. Because the artist and I on that, um, on, on Bug Slugger, which came out in uh, 2020, uh, and that's the story of a, of a hero that's armed with a magical slap bracelet, and he has to take down an ill-tempered narwhal to save his city. Um, <laughs> you know, again, it was like we, we spent so much time just talking about, like, who we hear and who these people are based off of. So... 
um, you know, when, when it came to the conversation of, well, how do we convey that? It was, well, why don't we just write it down and make it really easy? So I'm glad that you enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, and I liked how the like the slap bracelets like are well, it's super '90s in a way where it's, it also almost feels like kind of like Power Rangers as well when they turn yeah. their suits. Like, and you got mecha stuff going on. Like, I I really really dug that whole that just that aesthetic in that story. Oh, so. thanks, man. Yeah, it was a the the artist on that book, Loch Ness. Uh, he's super into like the Super Sentai TV shows and stuff. And and I grew up on the Power Rangers, and I was like, let's just combine all these things that we like and just throw them in here. So speaking of, um, you know, writing artists kind of pulling back the, you know, the curtain a little bit when you're writing, I guess, scripts, um, for your artists, are you doing like a Marvel style or like letting them kind of like work on the panels or, or do you guys kind of are really structured with like what you want on each page? Yeah. I, I always write in full script mode, which is, is basically a description of what's in the panel and then any associated dialogue that comes with that. So I would say that it's super detailed, but I also, I trust the artists that I work with. So every single script comes with the caveat of, you know, if you see this a different way, a better way, if there's a way that makes this more interesting for you, then do it that way. And I'll write around it. I'll, I'll edit dialogue. I'll make sure it all fits um, so we get a good page. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, if I if I let myself, like sometimes I'll go into like talking heads mode and then there's just like three pages of conversation and that can be kind of tedious for an artist to draw. So it's like, how can we add some movement in? So rather than have them, these characters sit and talk, maybe we can, you know, send them out walking somewhere. Or maybe we can have an action sequence that we put it into. So, um, you know, I do definitely lean into the artist to bring their talents and their strengths to the script. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want somebody to shoehorn me into doing exactly what they wanted. You know, if, if I'm going to tell the artist exactly what to draw, then I need to take some art classes and draw it myself, probably. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so I don't ever want to be that guy that feels like if they're collaborating with me, they're just, you know, they're just somebody that's that's there to bend to my whims because it's, it's a two-way street and it's it's always a team effort. And again, I mentioned earlier that, like, I, I spent my 20s playing in rock bands. It's, it's just like being in a band when you make comic books. You know, you have your artist, you have a colorist, you have a letterer. Everybody plays their instrument um, ideally very well. And you come together and you and you make you know a song or a graphic novel or an issue of a comic that um, is representative of all your skills. And that's one of the things that I always love about comics because I feel like when it comes to movies or video games or TV shows, like there's so many hands that are touching the mm-hmm. medium. Whereas with comics, like you get to really tell the story that you want, and it's just a, a small group of people. Um, and I think you get like the most, I would say, art out of it. Yeah, I've I've been really fortunate in that the the last three, two or three projects that I've done, um, there were only two of us involved, so it was just me and the artist. Uh, thankfully, the artist was not only able to draw the comic, but also color the comic. And then in addition to writing the comic, I also lettered it. So it was really, it was just the two of us making exactly what we wanted to make. So it is exactly what you say. It's like, let's, let's eliminate some of the cooks from the kitchen. We have a clear vision of what we want to do, so let's just do that. Now, I um, you make video games or you write for video games. Do you have a preference of you want to do one over the other, or is like the comics kind of just like a side thing, or do you eventually see yourself moving into solely doing comics? You know, comics is such a hard thing to make a full time living with. Um, there, you know, there are very few people that do it, and you know, if you if you see the ones who are, they're having to write you know twenty different series in a month. So unless you can like score an exclusive contract with Marvel or DC, it's it's really difficult. Uh, meanwhile, video games are very lucrative. It's a, it's a multi-million dollar industry. So it's like, you know, even if I was full-time in comics, I, I don't know that I would financially do what I'm able to do in the video game world. 
Um, so it, as of right now, it's it's just something I do in my free time. I'm, I'm fortunate that some of the projects that I've worked on, you know, they do bring in royalties. So every three months, you know, maybe I get a nice little check that I can use to pay the mortgage or, you know, you know, you buy something that will help me further my, my comic book uh, experience. And um, so they're both fun, but they also both scratch very different itches. So yeah, I think that if I had to do uh, like I don't I don't write video games in my free time. I write comic books or I write nonfiction or fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that if I had to do comics as my day job, then I would maybe lose the desire to to do my own passion projects. I would then be you know writing writing for a company at that point. And I don't know how that would affect the things that I like to do. Yeah, it's always because I have interest in writing comics. I went to Full Sail, and that's how we met. Um, and I'm always like nervous. Like I hope I have another passion so that like I don't lose the <laughs> desire to you know, write comics. Um, one of the things that I w- was wondering, um, when you're starting a story, are you focused on making th- what the working with the character first or a theme or a setting? Like how does that kind of, what does that process look like for you? Um, I'm a plot guy. I usually see the story, the, the high level story before anything else. For instance, when I, when I came up with the idea for, for unit 44, um, I remember I was, I, I sat down after work one day with my wife and, and she was watching something on TV and, and so I just kind of plopped down next to her and I was like, oh, what are we watching? And she said, well, it's this show called Storage Wars and they uh, what they do is it's people who buy you know the contents of storage lockers sight unseen and then try to sell the contents for a profit and i and i joked immediately i was like well what you know what if they somebody opened up a locker and they found out like who killed kennedy or something and then we both laughed and then i was like holy crap that's a great idea and like i got up and i left the room i'd only been in there for like two minutes and i sat down with a notebook and just sketched out the very high level plot which basically was what was in the the finished comic it really didn't change a lot and then from there, it was just, okay, who are the characters that are going to pepper this world and and bring it to life and make it fun for the reader? Because, again, I knew it was a silly comedic idea. So let me find these, like, really over-the-top characters that um, the reader can can have as their vehicle through what I'm about to, to show them through. Now, for our listeners who aren't as uh, immersed in the land of comics and kind of the nuts and bolts of who's involved, um, can you kind of break down how the role of writing for a comic is uh, is different than say for a nonfiction, a fiction or um, video game. Kind of more the roles, how the coloring, lettering and illustrators intermingle. Yeah, so so usually it starts with either, you know, a writer or maybe there's a writer and a co-writer or, or maybe the artist and writer are developing an idea together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like to start with a script. You know, before that, I'll start with just a paragraph of what the idea for the series is, figure out how many issues it might need to be. Uh, and then from there, kind of figure out the different beats that are going to happen over that series. What's going to happen in issue one, two, three? How, you know, how are you going to set up a, a fun ending for the final issue? Uh, writing out the scripts and then at that point kind of passing them off to an artist, um, you know, discussing it, throwing it back and forth, you know, again, making sure that you don't, it doesn't feel like you're just throwing it at them and saying, here, draw this, um, making sure that you're getting the best out of them, keeping them interested, uh, challenging them, which is very important. You know, comic artists are great because the reason they're the best artists in the world is because they can draw just about everything. A good artist can draw spaceships and horses and cars and buildings. You know, there's you have to think about like all these things like architects just draw houses for the most part, right? But you have a comic artist that can do all this crazy stuff and then also have to create it half the time because it doesn't exist in the real world. Um, so, you know, from there, it's like 
they'll either like thumbnail it out and just kind of send you like a like mini pages and in a rough idea you know, stick figures glorified stick figures of what kind of happens um, from there you can see the book at a high level and say okay does the flow work you know how how's uh, how are our page turns look do we have like little mini cliffhangers that will keep people turning the pages um, you know do have we put in a big splash page that's going to be eye catching for the reader that they're going to want to hang on their wall and just you know thinking about all these things that that we want um, to present to the reader and we want to make sure that it flows well and that it's exciting to read and that it's not just somebody talking for 20 pages. It's important that it's, it gets varied. Uh, the other thing is like panel counts, making sure that you're not just putting five panels on every page. You have maybe five panels here and then nine panels and then you're going back to three, you're going to two, you're going to one, you know, you're just, you're keeping the eye entertained and intrigued. Um, from there, once, once they've penciled it out, uh, typically uh, more and more artists will ink their own work. A lot of artists are working digitally now. Uh, so that process can be sped way up. Uh, the reason that we had individual inkers for so long was just because of the the pipeline process of trying to put out a monthly book. Um, but that process has gotten infinitely quicker. And then from there, it goes to a colorist who ideally knows something about color theory and can can look at the script, look at the pages, and make sure to translate uh, what's happening onto the page. So it, you know they need to know if a scene is happening at night, if it's happening in the morning or at dusk, and just kind of setting the the tone and the mood and the atmosphere. And then once the pages are colored, those go to a, a letterer who adds in the word balloons, adds in the sound effects, uh, any title design that you might need. And, and pretty much from there, you, if all goes well, you have a finished comic book that you can, you can publish or submit somewhere. Yeah, and you can really tell when the whole team's clicking, when like even like the lettering or you know, the, the coloring is really playing into that story. Um, Absolutely. Uh, I, I think come to mind is like the most recent Venom run. I feel like mm -hmm. the... I don't know, have you been, are you reading comics still or is it kind of hard for you to get into them? The only reason that it's hard is because I have a, I have a toddler at home, so she doesn't leave me a lot of time to read comics. So typically what I'll do is I, I read digitally because I don't, I don't have a comic shop where I live at the moment. So I'll like, I'll download a bunch of stuff. And then in those brief moments where like she's taking a nap, then I'll pound through like 20 issues of something. <laughs> so, um, I, I have, I don't, I don't know exactly what Venom run we're talking about but um like i have read some of the the more recent one over the past year or so yeah the donny cates ryan stegman oh yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. i've I, i'm yeah. not i'm definitely not current on it but i i agree with it. it's a gorgeous book right the like the um i was listening to donny talk and he was talking about how when adam uh Betty, oh, wow venom and eddie are <laughs> doing well like the board bubbles and the balloons will you know kind of co-in-sync but when they're not doing well as a mm -hmm. part like a team like they're two different things and i was like wow like i didn't even notice that and that's so cool like there's just like aspects like that in comics that really play into um how telling that story absolutely and, and the cool thing about that is as somebody I, i've also spent a lot of time working as a letterer not only for myself but for for other folks as well and and there's definitely a cool a good letterer takes advantage of that art and looks for ways to further along the story rather than people will think oh it's just putting the words on the page but like you just said you know stuff like that somebody had to come up with that idea somebody had to concept how that's going to look on the page in a way that's cool and is also readable um you know so i, I absolutely live for stuff like that now, how do you navigate the, I, I guess the best way I'd describe it is the lack of real estate for wordiness on a comic. Like I read, <laughs> I read like old Chris Claremont and he's just cramming in a ton of words. And then nowadays it seems like they're more streamlined. How do you kind of bring it down while still making a good plot and getting your points across? Sure. Well, you, you know, I always feel like the, the biggest compliment that I can pay an artist is to 
completely remove any of the words that I was going to have on that page because their art is is saying everything that needs to be said. So if you can have, you know, a, if the, if they can nail an expression on a character, then you don't need the the word of them, you know, sighing or, or cursing or or you know, it's very clear what they're thinking and feeling at that moment. Um, you know, aside from that, like I, I feel that my strength as a writer is in the dialogue side, and 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 working in the video game industry has taught me, you know, to be brief because we don't have a ton of space to work with. Uh, and before that, I was a journalist, so it's like it's all about everything I've done has been like economy of words. So for me, it's it's second nature to cut and cut and cut and just just get it down to something that that conveys the information that's needed. You know, sells a laugh, but still sounds like that character still moves the plot along, still gives the reader what they need in that moment to be able to continue the story. So I don't know. I, I think it's at the same time too. It's like I've been reading comic books my whole life. And, you know, I, I've, I can't, at this point, I can't even count how many issues I've read. So it's just something that like gets ingrained into you. You know, the more comics you read, the more you start to see what's happening on the page and you see how all these different tactics are kind of used and employed. Um, there's a reason, you know, that they, they still do things the way that they've always done things because it, it's what the reader expects. It's what they need to, to make it exciting. So, um, yeah, you know, you just absorb stuff. It's like you, you watch enough movies, you'll, you know, start predicting how every single movie that you watch ends. It's just, it, it's part of the, the territory of, of filling your brain with such things. Now, one of the things we talked about earlier is like creating your brand. Um, and I noticed, and I don't know, maybe I'm just kind of pulling at things, but I noticed one of the things that I love about your comics is that you have, um, like you know, like in an old comic, like there's a slap across someone's face and it says slap or bam or punch or whatever. But yours are like super hilarious where it's like, uh, I w- and Bug Slugger, like I wrote a couple down, like non-TSA approved air travel, like they're flying through or like, they're, they're just like witty, funny, little, like non, like I've never seen them used before. Like, is that something that, how did you like come up with using that? Uh, you know, it just... I think for Bug Slugger is, is really what definitely took that to a next level. And it's something that I, I do now pretty much in everything that I write, as long as it fits within the world that I'm building. If, you know, if I'm going for a more serious tone, I don't think I would do something like that. But that book was all about just being as crazy as possible. So that came out of myself and the artist, like just throwing back the most ridiculous things that we could think of for that sound effect. So it wasn't just boom. It was it was something silly. It was something that, that fit within the tone of the world we had made. And what would happen was is that we would joke back and forth and come up with something just really stupid. And then I would actually go in and letter it onto the page and send it to him. And thinking like, he'll go like, oh, you can't do that. Like, we, that's crazy. We can't do that. But he would always say, yep, looks good to me. So we just started doing it. Like, we just started to get as crazy as we could and, and basically challenging each other and trying to one-up each other on how silly we could make the sound effects. But yeah, it's, it's become part of the brand at this point. Like my favorite one, I think, is when um, the main character kicks one of the guys in the like groin area, and it says "wrecking balls," and I was like, "That's that's that's hilarious." Yeah, <laughs> like, like, yeah. It's a it's a shining moment for me in in my <laughs> career. I know my mother's proud. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all that matters, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'd like to dive into a little bit of Unit Forty Four because I know you mentioned with us they're coming out with new, more issues for that comic line. Um, you kind of gave them, uh, our listeners a brief description of it, but I'd like to hear more about what inspired you to explore Aliens, Area 51, and kind of this Men in Black style storyline. Yeah, you know, I've, I've always been into, like, UFO culture and stuff. Like, not super into it. Like, I, I'm not going to conventions or anything, but uh, it's just always been interesting to me. Um, very interested in space 
that type of stuff. And then, you know, growing up, like my dad was super into the X-Files. So that was something that we watched together every week. And, and so I think I just, you know, look for all these different things that I can kind of pull and, and put together in, in ways that interest me. So yeah, I, I kind of see that book as uh, Unit 44 is essentially like, what if the X-Files was a sitcom is kind of how I like to look at it. Mm. Um, and, and it will become more so the, the first arc, uh, which came out um, in 2015 and then again in, in 2017 and then again in 2019 through our publisher, Alterna Comics. It's probably the most released comic they've ever done. Um, <laughs> it, it was basically like a, an, one overarching story. So it was four issues with one story. But uh, moving forward, the goal is to do more like uh, one and done issues. So the, the next four that we have planned and, and, and half of it, we have two of them already completed. The, the final two are in production right now. Uh, they're going to be just like case files. So it's going to be, let's take these two crazy agents, one of whom is goofy, one of whom is kind of the straight man, and uh, they, they don't necessarily get along or see eye to eye, but let's have them go explore, you know, these different mythical creatures that, that people uh, read about. So, you know, we're going to send them out to investigate the Mothman. We're going to go send them out to investigate the multiverse, you know, just these these little crazy adventures that as much as we can cram into 20 pages. So it's, it's going to be a fun little ride. That's what I was going to ask. Like, are they 20 pages or 30 pages or what are your... Um, yeah, so I, I limited myself to 20, uh, just you know, more for budgetary reasons than anything else. But we're also doing like a series of, we'll have backup strips in the comics and we'll do some fun extra stuff as well. So, uh, you know, that, that seemed like more than adequate space. I didn't want to, I don't like to wear out my welcome. I want people to get in, get out, have a fun read and, and want more. I don't want them to say, hey, this story went on way too long. I want them to say, I w- give me more of it. So that's kind of the goal. So it's going to be like an ongoing anthology series then or just? Yeah, it's it's projected to be, we're going to do at least four more issues. If uh, if it sells well, then our publisher, Alterna Comics, is, will probably want us to do more, in which case we'll, we'll do more of it. So we they're a great publisher to work with, and we pretty much have carte blanche to do whatever we want to do and be as silly as we want to be. Um, the only difference is that um, the first series, um, the artist for that was Eduardo Jimenez. And uh, he, unfortunately, is, is too busy to draw the new issues. So I've brought on a couple of different friends. So the artist will actually change from issue to issue as well. Um, but I, I tried to pair them up with stories that I thought would complement their art style. So not only will we get to see these characters as drawn by other people, you know, the humor will still be the same. Uh, but the, the atmosphere will, will kind of add to the, the tales, I think. Uh, so I guess as a writer, um, one of the things I'm curious about is how do you go about the process of reaching out to artists and, you know, starting a new comic? Sure. So when I write a comic, I typically kind of know in my mind's eye, I guess, what the what the art style is going to need to be like or, or similar to or what type of, of tone is going to need to be conveyed. Um, so, you know, finding artists is is a, is difficult, man. It's 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 always hard. Um, but, you know, the best place you can go is somewhere like, you know, Twitter or, or DeviantArt and, and see what people are, are putting on display. Uh, a lot of a lot of comic, comic artists have like art station portfolios or, or they make it, you know, they, they're out promoting their work. If they want to draw comics, uh, then they're going to be out there kind of getting their name out through social media. So you look for people that are, are doing stuff that you like. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's like you, you want to be happy. You want to be proud of the comic book that you're creating. So you want to find somebody that, 
you know, you don't want to find that that artist that's like, well, it's almost there, but it's not quite there, but let's do this thing anyway. It's like you want to find somebody that's tailored to the job in front of you. Uh, so from there, it's like typically what I would have, what I did when I was starting off was just sent them an email saying like, hey, you know, I love your art. Um, you know, I have this idea for a comic book and just send them like a quick two sentence description of the story. And then from there, it's either them responding or, or not responding if they're not interested or, or and then maybe they say like, hey, I, this is cool, but I don't have time. Or, you know, do you have a script that I can look at? And there it behooves you to have that first issue script available that you can fire off to them immediately because artists are fickle, man. They'll, they'll get, you know, they'll follow whatever their interest is at any given time. So, you know, they may start drawing a comic and then somebody else gives them another comic that's cooler and then they'll, they'll go draw that and they'll leave your comic hanging, unfortunately. Um, so it's all about, you know, trying to find somebody that's going to be invested in the project, which is is a challenge at times. Um, but the thing that you can do to help alleviate that is I always recommend that people pay their artists. And I know that's hard because, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, but, you know, you can save up for a few months. And, and even if you're just producing like the first five pages of your issue one, um, you know, take that through the whole process, have somebody color it, have somebody letter it, make it like a you know, a proof of concept as far as what your comic is. And if it's something that the artist believes in and, and they, they want to continue and you want to continue, you know, take that to Kickstarter and say, here are the first five pages. We need $2,500 to make this comic a reality. And if people like your idea and respond to it, you know, you'll get the money that you need. Um, if, if your project doesn't get funded, then either A, you know, marketing maybe wasn't where it needed to be, or B, maybe it's just not the right time for that particular idea. Um, so you actually, you know, you can save a lot of money. Because otherwise, if you're going to just self-fund a comic and pay an artist and pay a colorist and pay a letterer, I mean, that's a lot of money out of your pocket. You don't want to then not have that project, you know, not make any money in return. So, you know, pursue the ideas that, that people are excited about and especially, you know, build build up your audience, you know, as, as early on as possible, even if it's that if that's through like doing prose stories or something, you know, make make your work accessible to people and build your audience and then try to bring them into the comics world with you. Uh, it's much easier when you have people in your corner. Yeah, one thing I have known because I'm on like different comic book writing or color or artist uh, pages is to not mention that you have an idea and then not willing to pay the artist because that is a surefire for them to yell at you and not want to be uh, worked with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you got to think like as writers, we can write a comic book page in, you know, five minutes, or 10 minutes, an hour, you know, it's, and here you have an artist that's going to take at least 10 hours just to draw that page and bring it to life. So, you know, there's a there's an unbalance there of, of time dedication for a project. So, you know, you may have this four issue comic book series that you could you know, in all honesty, you could write it in like an afternoon or two, but the artist is going to take months and months and months. It's a, it's a large time commitment for them. So anytime that you can, you can kind of help support them um, and make sure that they're taken care of throughout that process is, is only going to be beneficial and only going to be a better situation at the end. Because if you're not paying an artist and they've you've got this 100 page graphic novel and they hit page 80 and get bored with it and they dip out and they don't have any skin in the game and you know they're not they're not losing anything by quitting you know that puts you in a terrible terrible situation that you I promise you don't want to be in recently I went to a comic book store and Kyle Higgins was there and was doing um, some signings for free and I asked him you know what's advice you give and you mentioned something about you know writing a short you know getting the, at least five pages done he was like just write a five page comic get it all the way done and then that's how you start showing people because he's like you know this day and age people want something that's fast and quick and um so writing a five a short like five story 
a five page story is going to be really, really easy for your, you know, get to your name out there. So it's cool that you also mentioned that yeah. idea. Well, and let me expand on that further because that's that's absolutely a great piece of advice. The thing that I see is with pe- folks who who want to get into comic book writing, it's like they want to get into it because they want to write this like 60-issue opus that they've been thinking about since they were a kid. And that's like the worst possible thing that you could do to start off because um, you don't, you know, you, you have read comics and you've written this comic, but you don't really know anything about making comics yet, which is such a, a learning uh, collaborative process. So... Yeah, start small, like do five-page comics, do three-page comics. If you can do a one-page comic, it's so much easier to get an artist to draw a one-page comic for free than, you know, anything else because the time commitment is so little and you may find people that are wanting to get their name out there just like you are. So the shorter you can go, the better, you know. And, and then after that, do a 10-page comic. Do do a one-shot, do a 20-page a self-contained story and kind of build your way up to that opus because what's going to happen is you're going to learn so much along the way um, if you, you're going to look back at those early comics that you did and, and you're not going to, you're going to say, I can't read this crap. Like it's all I can see is what's wrong with it. And that's okay because that means that you've learned something that you're then going to apply to the next job that you do. And that's the same way. I, I can't read my earliest stuff now because all I see are the problems and the errors with it. Um, and then the other thing that, you know, you want to do on top of that is you have to get that in front of people, uh, and, and do everything you can to remove the barrier to entry. So somebody's like, okay, I've got this five-page comic. Well, I'm going to put it online and sell it for $5. It's like, no, just give it away for free. You need to build your brand. You need to make sure that people can get to your work. If if you've put a, a numeric value on it, then that person doesn't have $5 is not going to, to read it. Or worst case scenario, you know, sure, you might have like some of your friends buy it and then you've got money, but they're maybe not going to read it because they're just trying to support you. So it's at the end of the day, you know, is it better to have sold you know, 10 copies of it, or is it better to have 10 people downloaded it for free and read it? You know, you want to make sure that people are connecting with your work. So uh, yeah, great, great advice from Kyle Hagen. Start small, work your way up. And you know, once you get in there and you start doing short comics, you may decide like that you hate it and it's really not what you want to do after all. So save yourself the time and the money too. Another thing you mentioned was Kickstarter. Have you, do you have any thoughts on the most recent like Substack stuff that's going on with comic book writers and artists? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I talk about it with some of my artist friends. Um, it seems cool. You know, I'm, I'm all about, again, as somebody that grew up very much into like independent comics, I'm, I'm all for alternative ways of, of getting them out to the people. Uh, I mentioned that I don't have a comic book shop locally, so I read everything through Comixology or through like the Marvel app. And I love those because everything's right at my fingertips and I can have it with the click of a button. And, you know, there there's great sales where I can stock up on things that I've missed. So I've really tried to stay open to those new technologies. And I also I post a lot of comics for free just on my website that, that people can check out is kind of a, a, a gateway drug more or less to the rest of my work. Um, so, you know, something like Kickstarter is great because it allows you to not only connect with the creators and feel like you're you're part of the process of bringing it to life. Um, but you know, you ideally get something cool at the end. Maybe you get some, some extra swag or, or something that makes you feel a little bit more connected and, and gives you a little bit of ownership of the process. And then, as I mentioned, you know, the opposite side that I see as the benefit is that, you know, if you, if you don't get funded, then you're not spending, you know, years of your life building something that nobody, nobody wants for, for lack of a better term. So, you know, I think with the Substack stuff, it's super cool because, uh, those artists are willing to, or those artists and writers are willing to give their audience, you know, a peek behind the curtain as far as how they bring these projects to life. Um, you know, if you are a fan of those creators that are doing that, if you're, if you like, um, 
James Tinian or you like Chip Zdarsky, you know, you can get in there and, and support them and help keep them doing what they do. Um, so, uh, you know, from that side of it, it's really cool because you can become, um, you know, closer to them through through that particular work. So uh, I don't know if it'll work. I hope it does. I, I haven't subscribed to any of them yet. I, I get a lot of their free newsletters. Right. Um, once uh maybe once when my daughter's in college you know i can actually like throw some money over there to them and help them out but um no i just i just haven't had time like even even if i was giving them my money right now i wouldn't have time to read the comics so i I just kind of hit pause on that but i look forward to seeing what happens and and i think that somebody like scott snyder who's saying hey you know if you subscribe to my newsletter i i will literally teach you how to make comics you know for people that want those experiences i think it's great that there's a place to go and, and start getting them yeah i actually so i subscribe to um i well paid subscriber for donny keats and ryan stegman and then scott snyder's because mm-hmm. um seven bucks a month to learn how to write comics is a whole lot cheaper than trying to find a school that you know is yeah um, so and, and it's been great there's been like three classes i've definitely learned a lot um i think it's going to be a cool transition into this new world uh, you know image came out to try to give the artists and writers more freedom and you know mm-hmm. uh, creative control and money essentially when they create content yeah. but i think substack is going to be even like the next level on that so that you can not only see what they're doing and get a peek behind the curtain but like also like help them support them even more Totally. Yeah. I mean, the fact that that a lot of these writers were able to they were given this bucket of money to be able to go and and hire artists and and colorists and letterers and and financially help the industry. Those people who who aren't getting a paycheck from Marvel or DC is is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, So speaking of artists and writers, uh, who are some of the your inspiration? Like, what are the guys that you look up to? Oh, um, you know, I, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Rob Schraub, uh, Ben Edlund, who is the creator of The Tick. Uh, my, my favorite comic book writer is probably Brian K. Vaughn. Amazing. Yeah, let's go with, let's go with Brian K. Vaughn. I, you know, he's not somebody like I don't aspire to be like him because what he does is so special and only he can do it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, just as somebody whose stories I read and I go, wow, you know, that was just a wonderful story that really took advantage of the comic book medium. This is somebody that has literally like really mastered the craft and the language of comics. So every time I, I finish reading one of his stories or, or finish the current issue, at least I just am overwhelmed with satisfaction. It was a wonderful reading experience. Yes. I'm, I'm very much in the late of uh, like catching up on Brian K. Vaughn. So like I, just started reading why the last man which i know is like super old but it's so good awesome. or like i've read pride of baghdad which is amazing and yeah currently catching up on saga because mm-hmm. i heard it's coming back and that's also just a phenomenal story so yeah he's 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 great <laughs> yeah i can't think of you know i don't think there's a single book that he's written that i haven't enjoyed you know it that's that's a good that's a mark of a good comic book storyteller it's like i don't i don't if somebody said what's your favorite story of his like i i don't know how to rank them right for sure. And, and I think it would be just this has nothing to do with comics, but it, it'd be super challenging. But it, I would love to see someone try to adapt Saga. I think that yeah would be I think Netflix or Amazon throw a lot of money at it. It'd be cool to see yeah. them try to adapt that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think anything is possible, you know, especially with the, the level of CG that we get from like a Netflix series nowadays. So, uh, you know, I know that they created it with the intention of it only ever being a comic. But, hey, you know, things change. So. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we see an adaptation adaptation years from now. Now, going back to more of uh, our listeners who aren't as 
used to comics. I, I know a lot of people have talked to us. We've talked on the show too about how comics seems to be a tough, a tough medium to entry into, um, and that sometimes you need that little bit of help on where to start. What's as a writer? What's your advice for somebody who maybe is interested but has no idea where to jump in? Um, I don't know that the the getting in is any more difficult than any other industry, uh, you know, because people would say like it's hard to get into the video game industry too, but it, it's up to you, you know, to to do it, to start making comics. You can't wait for permission. The hard part is getting is getting paid to do it by Marvel or DC. But as far as just like making comics, no, it's not hard at all. You you could you could make a comic. You know, even if you're a terrible artist, you could make a comic by drawing it yourself and have it up on the internet by the end of the day. So, you know, it's it's really making sure that that you're presenting yourself in a way that, you know, hasn't that you have something to say that's interesting. You have a, a story to tell that hasn't been told. You have characters that you want to introduce to the world that, that don't exist anywhere else. Or maybe, you know, if you're like me, you just you really want to challenge the comic book format to make it as funny as humanly possible. So that's kind of like what gets me out of bed in the morning doing that stuff. So. Um, no, I, I don't think it's it's hard to break in. I think it's hard to get paid to do it. Mm. But, um, you know, all you have to do is just start making comics, which I know sounds like the worst answer ever, but it's the truth. No, it is. It's, it's like people, you know, they're like, oh, I want to do this. Well, like, well, have you started doing it? No. Well, then you got to start somewhere. And that's that's what's you know, separates the people from you know the ones who will do it and the ones who won't do it. Like, it's going to be bad probably when you first start out, but hopefully you learn to improve. <laughs> yeah. So, um, if you had to pick one publisher, like let's go indie indie publisher, what like a big bigger one? What would you want to write for? Um, well, it's funny. I, I've actually, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna try to be, uh, you know, cautious of my words because I've actually had the ability to pitch to a lot of indie publishers in the past. So I don't want to you know burn any bridges or anything. Um, I think that um, Boom Studios has a lot of cool stuff mm-hmm. that they're doing. Um, they've had a, a, probably if I look at like the series that I've been most interested in over the past couple of years, most of them are probably coming out of that studio. I agree. I, I love image, love dark horse. You know, those guys are great, but I think boom is just <laughs> killing it right now yeah. with, uh, especially all of like Tinian stuff going on. And, yeah. um, is something killing the children image or boom? It's boom. Dang. Like, and then his new, they they got the new, uh, spinoff series, yeah. which I think is broke the record for most like pre or pre-sales or whatever it's, uh, it's crazy yeah super excited for that yeah i agree something something is killing the children was a i didn't know anything about it and i just kept seeing it online and so i just i bought the first issue and i was like holy crap and i just pounded through that entire series mm-hmm. in like a weekend it was awesome i always I, like, people always ask me like what are you reading and i'm like it's probably either donny cates charles soul scott snyder or uh tinian and, and like yeah. those those guys are phenomenal like definitely look all up to all those guys um so i guess just kind of um gary do you have any other questions no go ahead and close it out dude okay um let's see what uh, two questions Mm -hmm. one do you want what do you want to promote um is there something that's coming out recently that you just want to uh get out into the world um, you know, honestly, the the last thing that I produced was uh, the comic book Bug Slugger that we were talking about earlier that was released uh, mid-pandemic, which in retrospect was a terrible idea. Here I thought people <laughs> people would be interested in, in having a laugh and, and maybe not thinking about the day-to-day, but it turns out that people wanted to think about the day-to-day or, or just yell at each other on Twitter. So um, 
wasn't wasn't the best opening date for that comic, but I would love for people to check it out because I did put a lot of, of love and soul into it. And that's available uh, on my website. You can get a copy of the graphic novel or you can purchase the issues through Comixology. And then uh, Unit 44 will be back in 2022 through Alterna Comics with new issues. Uh, the first four are available on the Alterna Comics website. Uh, you can get the digital versions. You can get uh, the... The actual issues, we're also going to release another collection here in the coming months. So, um, yeah, I know we've talked a lot about those two particular books, and I would love for folks to check them out. So if they're looking for a way to support me and the things that I have going on, those would be the way to do it. Guys, if you like comedy, if you like comics, definitely go and check them out. They're hilarious. Uh, they're also really just fun stories to read. Um, I was definitely having a whole lot of fun. You know, I'm, Thank you again for sending them to us. I'm sure. going to definitely check out uh, Unit 44 as those issues come out. Um. We also, when we end our shows, do you have any socials that you want to plug? Oh yeah, people can they can find me on Twitter. Uh, just every everything that I have is is branded as just West Loker, all one word. So Facebook, Twitter, um, website, it's all the same stuff. Email, so I'm very easy to find if you just type in type the name into the Google machine. Um, but yeah, get in touch if anybody has any other questions about the comics making process or or anything. I'm I'm happy to answer those as time permits. So I, I'm by no means the master, but I can. I've made some terrible mistakes that you can learn from. So hopefully I'm, I'm willing to share any of that knowledge. Yes. And the uh, final question that we always ask, um, what is your greatest failure and how have you learned from that? Oh, my greatest failure. Um, that's deep, man. Um, oh, I know. We, we try to end really deep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't have anything coming to mind, unfortunately. Then what's a comic thing that you've messed up on that you uh, want to make sure that we don't mess up when we make ours? Um, don't, uh, I would say if you're making comic books, don't ask the artist to draw things that are impossible. So for instance, like you may see in your mind that like there's a page where, you know, there's a, there's a sci-fi setting with, with spaceships that are shooting at each other and there's like 10,000 soldiers running around but somebody has to go in there and draw every one of those 10,000 soldiers so I would say be nice to your artists look for ways to um, make their lives easier not harder because the last thing you want to do is is send them a comic book script that they're going to print out from their computer simply so they can then throw it across the room you don't you don't want to get into that type of situation well Wes thank you again uh, for coming on I learned a lot from comics I was writing notes down while you were talking because awesome, i learned a man. bunch um and again guys we are pod wars you can find us on social media at powers podcast on twitter and if you want any um if you want us to talk about something special you can reach out to us at um ask pod wars podcast at gmail.com and we can talk about something anything related to comics or marvel or star wars and with that have a great week <laughs>